Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to this edition of the John Papaloni Show. Today, we have Randy Crane. Randy, welcome to the show. Hey, John. Thanks a lot for having me on your show today. We're looking forward to the conversation. Oh, me as well. I mean, we were talking. You were telling me that uh, your marketing space, well, your marketing space, your space is in marketing, but uh, you gave me a little bit of a uh, shocker of uh, where you were going to start. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, um, I was actually originally going to be a priest. I grew up in the I grew, I grew up around the Catholic Church my whole life, and uh, I'm sure much the same as yourself. And um, you know, so to me, it was always a uh, it was something that I I'd always had a passion. So growing up in the church, I, I went. To, you know, I was the altar boy. I was the choir boy. I did all the you know I did all the routines, and um, I decided to study for to become a priest. Long and the short of it is, I went to monastery. I did all of that. I was about six weeks away from taking my vows. And um, before they do that, they do an interview with you. Right. So I did the interview, and I figured while they were interviewing me, I'd be interviewing them at the same time. And, of course, you know, I started asking questions because I didn't think I had all the answers, at least not all the answers I needed. So I started asking about things like, you know, the political times, and financial times during the time of Jesus. And of course, these are questions that you don't really ask the Catholic Church. <laughs> and uh, so after the interview was over, they we had a conversation about it. And they said, you know, my Monsignor said to me, well, why don't you take a little time off and reevaluate your your vocation. And I thought, well, you know what, that's a pretty good idea. And that was 40 years ago, and I'm still reevaluating. But in the meantime, after I left the church, I, I needed, I wanted to continue on my, my education in theology. And, and that's what I've done over the last 40 years. And, um, but along the way, I still had to make money. So I got into sales and then got into marketing. And I found out that I was really kind of good at the whole marketing thing. So I really pursued that. And it's interesting because in 43 years, I've never done anything else. So I've never, you know, I've never left the industry to go sell cars or or, or sell real estate. I, I've never done that. I've just stayed in marketing and that's exactly what I've done. But the interesting thing came along as I was studying marketing and I was studying theology at the same time. The two kind of became one. Okay. For me, that's where emotion marketing was born. You know, I started to realize that the human experience is all based on emotion, not based on the facts and figures, you know, and I'm sure you know, being in real estate yourself, you know, this, you know, you, you, if you go into the house and uh, you're showing a house and all you're talking about is the, the price and the, and the, uh, the downstroke and the, and all the facts and figures about the house, you ain't selling the house. The house has to be sold by coming and see the kitchen. Imagine the backyard and, you know, you get those emotions moving within your customer. Well, right. Well, people don't buy houses based on, uh, let's be honest, I call them four pieces of drywall. It's not the drywall that they're interested in. They're interested in, uh, what you know, how they see themselves living there. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it's up to you, the salesperson, to create that image, to create that design for them. You know, and, and the more entrenched they become in the design and, and the image of what they see or their imagination, uh, the closer they come to the sale. And, and you know, you know, John, this isn't your first rodeo and no. certainly not mine. We've all had the sales pitch before, you know. Hi, John, my name is Randy. I work for this company. We've been in business for 20 years. We have the best people, the best product, the best price. 
the best delivery, the best warranty, blah, blah, blah. Nobody cares about any of that. And I don't know that they ever did. You're absolutely right. And I'm going to tell you something. That pitch that comes out is one of those things. When you hear somebody explain that pitch, it's like, okay, I'm ready to fall asleep. And oh, it's like, yeah. oh, wait, I'm on the podcast. You're telling me of a story. I'm not getting pitched. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like, well, you know what? And, and that's the thing is that, you know, back in the 80s, okay, and I, I'm sure you're quite a bit younger than me, but back in the 80s, we, this is how you were taught, you know, go out and, and sell the, the FAB, you know, the yeah, features yeah, yeah. Advantages and benefits, and go out and sell the ABCs, you know, always be closing, you know, and it's like I was saying before, you know, I, I don't, I know those such systems do not work today. And I'm not even sure that they ever really worked that well back then. The interesting part about this is that, you know, the stuff we were doing in the 60s, we were still doing in the 80s. The stuff in the 80s that we were doing, we're still doing today. And and this comes into the fact that it's it becomes generational. You know, uh, the old folks like me and the younger guys like you are eventually going to go away. And the new people are going to, the new salespeople, the new marketing people are from the 70s and 80s and 90s are going to start taking over again. And that's how long it takes for these things to, to go away, okay? You know, it's funny. I, I, uh, uh, I remember a, um, a statement that was made by the president of uh, General Electric back in 1971, and he had said to somebody that this isn't personal, it's just business, <laughs> which I always thought was the most inane thing to say, especially when you're talking to somebody. And, um, but do you know that statement is still used today? And I'm sure you've heard that many times yourself. Yeah, of course. And that's the thing. It's also, oh, it's just business. It's not personal. Yeah. Well, no problem. Let me take money from your pocket, put it in my pocket. And I said, no worries, buddy. It's just business. Yeah. You know what? And that's why I said, it's the most inane thing that people say, but it was said by him in 19, I think it was 1972. And, um, but you still hear people saying the same thing today. I never say it because I don't, I, I, I just think it's stupid. Yep, absolutely. Now, it's funny thing is, as my original background was marketing, that's where I start. Well, I started off as a DJ because I wanted to be on the radio. And cool. uh, but what ended up happening is where I settled off when I started off a career, not career, a career was in marketing. And, and I did quite well, actually. I got into marketing. I actually wanted to be a graphic designer, but I ended up doing printing, marketing and all that stuff. And yeah, things were different back then for sure. I mean, I grew my business to be eight figures a year. So it was uh, quite a big one. And now the ir irony on this was that um, back then, a lot of the stuff that people try today that don't work would work. And now, like, look, I always believe this price, service, and quality. And I really believe that two, uh, like people can only achieve two out of three. You're not going to have the best service, the best quality at the best price. I mean, people tell you that. But I don't believe it for a second. No. Because, you know, look, no one, if someone's making a dollar an hour, a minimum wage is sixteen fifty. If somebody's stupid enough to take that, there's no way that they're going to put in all their effort and feel good about it. So they're just not going to do it. And you're going to get half-assed because they're trying to get rid of you. Now, at the same, you know, so something's always got to give. Now, if somebody's, if you're paying $30 a minute, you want to know what you're getting for that $30 a minute. And it better be something you're willing to pay for that. It's, it comes down to what we always call value. But I'm just really de defining what that term value is. It's what people perceive to be something that's worth it for them. Some people won't pay for a service more than that dollar. 
And other people are willing to pay the $30 a minute because it's what they feel that they want. And it's usually based on that emotion that you're talking about because people feel good about a certain things, right? And when they feel good about it, they want to get something, they want to get something quickly. And that's where the, the service comes in because it's speed. And then nobody, no one, no one, no one, no one will ever turn around and say, look, I can get you a product. It's a piece of shit, but it's half price. No one will say yes to that. No. Right. Everybody assumes that they're going to get the best. So let's assume that Quality is the one thing that's rarely compromised. That means that you're going to have to compromise between what you're going to pay or the kind of service you're getting for it. Without a doubt. And at the end of the day, it's really going to come down to, you know, the service is going to be predicated based on the price you're going to pay. Now, that being said, you know, let's just back up a little bit, you know, because I think there's an important factor here. Everybody today, salespeople included, Everybody's in a rush to close the sale. Absolutely. Got to close the sale today. Got to close it today. Absolutely. Okay. And I don't know that that's really the wisest solution. I know it's myself. I never I never try to close the sale on the first day because I know that I have to deliver value. Okay. I also know that the more value I deliver, the closer I, I become to the sale. Now, what kind of value? Is it the value that I, that I believe? No. It's, it's your perceived value. It's what you perceive as value, not what I perceive. And, you know, you being the owner of, of the company, it's not what you perceive either. You may think it's a great idea, and I may think it's a great idea, but if the customer doesn't get it, it it's, it's worthless. So I spend my time talking with the customer about what their real idea of value is so that I can deliver on what I promise. You know, and sometimes it takes more than one meeting to do that. So I'll go in and I'll talk to him and I'll deliver some value and I'll say, hey, he'll say, well, how much is this going to cost? I say, well, geez, I don't know. You know, why don't we have another meeting tomorrow or the next day? And, you know, well, let's talk about it again. And that gives me an opportunity now to do a little bit more research, come back to him with some really, you know, solid perceived value for him. And he's turning around. He's going, oh, my God, this is great. You know, how much is this going to cost? Oh, Jesus, man, I don't know. You know, why don't we have one more meeting? And I'm sure by then I should be able to figure it out. That gives me the that third opportunity now to deliver so much value, the guy just can't say no. Now, that's my process. That doesn't necessarily make it everybody's. But I find that when you when you pound that guy for the sale, okay, he feels it. He feels the pressure. And when they feel that pressure, they move away, okay? And, and like I said, you know, now there are other factors that come in, especially in the real estate business, you know, you've got scarcity which is a huge factor. Listen, you know what? This property is going to be available today. I can't promise it's going to be available tomorrow. If I were you, I'd act now. You know, things along those lines. And those do circumvent. But what I'm saying is, is that always being in a, in a rush to close that sale doesn't always work in your favor. It's the perceived value that you've got to deliver, especially, and that's what's going to separate you from the 15, 16, 50 an hour worker to, uh, to a professional where you're making $30 a minute. Okay. It's the value that's going to, that's going to separate you. Of course. Of course. Values everything. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Now, again, everyone's different and different procedures. As long as that you can deliver that perceived value is where it goes down to. And it's like really knowing who your target market is, who your clientele is. Cause let's be honest, not everyone's going to be for you. So many times I've encountered companies where I talked to them and said, Hey, you know what? Who's your target? Everybody. So, <laughs> you, you know, sell like everybody, the, you sell nobody. Yeah, yeah. Like it's like the dumbest answer you can give. Yeah, that's right. 
<laughs> but uh, now people in general, what it is, it goes back to what we said earlier. It's about fear. What happens is nobody wants to say, I'm, I'm looking for the 18 to 34 year old that's looking to get into the their first working career and they're looking for someone to help them find XYZ and uh, who can afford this price from whatever. Nobody says that because they always say, okay, well, you know what? What if a 40 year old calls me? Well, what if a 50 year old calls me? Well, what if it's a woman? What if it's a guy? And they, oh, it's always that fear. And wouldn't, yeah. And that's why they say everybody because they don't want to seem like they're not going to take on other clients. But the reality is the target market is basically what you're specializing in. It doesn't mean your product won't serve other people. It doesn't. And, you know, this, what you're, the, the, the rabbit hole you're going down here is, is absolutely what I always say. And that is the fact that, you know, when you try to sell everybody, you sell nobody. But you see, most customers don't know who they sell to. Yeah. Most customers do not know who they sell to. They don't know. Well, you know, if, if I said to you, what is the age of your customers? Oh, they're all ages. Well, you know, what kind of industry are they in? Oh, well, they're in a variety of different industries. Well, what are their problems? Well, the, my problem is they don't buy enough. You know, I mean, these are the answers that you get. Absolutely. Like, see, and I could tell you mine. Mine ranges between 35 to 55. And I could tell you that because who are most of my customers as a realtor? Mine are the, and I don't generally, generally deal with the end user. It's usually investors. And most people under 35 are buying their first home. And buying their first home is not an investor. That is buying a home to live in. They usually don't find me. I get referred to people. That's where most of my stuff comes in, just from brand recognition. So who do I help people? People looking to invest. And that's usually 35 to 55-year-olds because those are the time that they're trying to build their their uh their wealth and growth and, and yeah. through and yeah and at 55 is usually when they're debating on whether or not they're cashing out and somehow i'm not really the guy who they called to cash out on so it's one of those things that just happens to be my target now have i dealt with people over 55 yes have i dealt with people under 35 yes but that's not the bulk of the people and that's usually not the area that i uh specialize in no and 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 you know it's the same with me i mean my my group are primarily, uh, you know, 36 to 55 in that area. Um, there are companies that have been in business for, you know, somewhere between uh, eight and 12 years. And um, because by that point, they've already exhausted all of their preconceived ideas. Okay. Well, we got to build a website. That's the first thing they always do. They build their website. And what's their website about? It's all about you. Mm hmm Matter of fact, it should be about everybody else but you, okay? Yeah. And uh, so they always make that mistake first. The second one is they try to sell people through cold emails, which uh, that's usually a second thing. They bring on a telemarketing firm or two that's going to, you know, produce fantastic leads that produce nothing. So they go through all these rudimentary programs that, that don't work for them. And then all of a sudden, someday they'll get referred to me because that's normally how I get my clients. They'll get referred to me and they'll come to me and they'll say, well, Randy, what can you do? And this is where an examination comes into play because I need to know who your market is. You come to me and say, listen, you know, we're, we're selling uh, wallets online. Well, then I would probably tell you to go find somebody who knows a little bit more about Amazon than I do because B2C is really not my, my strength. There are some cases where we do, but not very often. It's mostly a B2B market. Um, on the other hand, though, you know, like I said, it's really understanding who your customer is. And then once you know who the customer is, what what do they suffer with? 
what are their pain points? You know, what, what, what keeps them up at night? And you see, and once you start establishing what those problems are, now you direct your marketing directly to that. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody's going to have the same problem, and some people aren't going to have those problems. But, you know, I, I can pretty much look at a product line, and within a few days, I can probably figure out what the problems are for the, for the customer that doesn't have that product. And I think that is so important that you understand who your customer is. You know, I even tell people, you know, when, when I take on a campaign, I, I look and I, I find you know, whatever that problem is. And then I look at what the solutions for that problem is. How does that customer, how would that customer feel before he buys? And how does he feel after he buys? And then I write a story about that guy. And then I go on the internet and I find a picture of somebody who looks like that guy. So that when it comes for me to write content, I have an intimate understanding of who this person is. So when I'm writing content now, I'm writing it to him, to her, and I'm writing it to their problem. And, and this is where I'm saying, you know, marketing always seems to fall short. People think that marketing is sales and it just isn't. hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, the biggest question I always used to get when I met somebody, when I was in the marketing business, I would say, what do you do? Well, I'm in the marketing business. What type of marketing do you do? There is no friggin' type of marketing. You know what I mean? They would think advertising resources advertising are marketing. Advertising isn't marketing. And that's not marketing. No. Selling isn't marketing. And, and you know what? And that's what I always got confused about, John. I am, this guy is the vice president of sales and marketing. Now, you're either lying about one of them uh -huh. because you're not good at both. Okay. So, you know, to me, I look at that and I think to myself, you know, that doesn't even make sense to me. You know, if you're a marketer, great. If you're an advertiser, that's great. Like on my team, we've got some really great advertising. Am I one of them? No, I'm not. We have some really great salespeople. Am I one of them? Well, yeah, I do sales because I've always had to do sales. Okay. But we've got great salespeople on our team. Those salespeople will probably stay salespeople. Okay. You know, that's like you turning around in your finance company and you turning around and saying, <coughs> we've got a great salesperson here. I think I'll make him an accountant. <laughs> Isn't it the same thing? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go visit my mechanic because I need heart surgery. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the same thing, right? And sometimes it's just, I don't know if I would say a lack of education or a lack of willing to learn. Like a lot of times, like you said, people are trying to solve their own pain points that they're trying to relate which they don't relate. So instead of asking the questions, they just make assumptions. Well, you know, and that's, that's the thing, you know, I always tell people, whether you're in sales, whether you're in marketing, it doesn't really matter. The quality of the questions you ask will get, will guarantee you the quality of the, of the answers you get. You ask stupid questions, you're going to get stupid answers. You ask qualified questions and you ask those questions well, like well thought out questions, and you're going to get well thought out answers. And it also leaves the open door so that if you want to, and you know, one of the things that I always do is I always ask people how they feel, you know, they I'll ask them a question, he'll give me an answer and I'll say, well, how does that make you feel? Well, what do you mean? Well, if you were able to do this, how would that make you feel? Well, that would make me feel great. Well, what does great feel like? You know, and I've even had customers turn around and say to me, why are you asking me how much, how I feel? What do you care how I feel? I said, I'm going to tell you something. I care a lot how you feel because if it doesn't feel right to buy from me, you ain't buying. So I need to know how you're feeling in this. And you know what? People are responsive, you know? And like I said, it's the emotions that drive our decisions. Nothing more. 
I mean, everybody thinks, you know, John, you, your dad, he would have come to you when you were a little boy and said to you, John, you got to start making logical decisions in your, you remember that? I don't actually. <laughs> no, my, my parents used to say something different. I mean, my dad would come up to me and says, when are you, when are you going to get off your ass and actually get a real job? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny. My, my dad used to say to me, Randy, you got to start making logical decisions in your life. And it's interesting because, you know, human beings are really not that capable of making logical decisions. They make emotional decisions and then they justify it after the fact with reason and rationality. Okay. But decisions are normally made by impulse and they're made by an emotional, um, the emotional conscience. Well, I'm going to disagree with you on this and and in terms of them able to make logical decisions. Human beings are are able to make logical decisions. They choose not to. They choose to listen to the emotional side. So I agree with everything you said about the emotions. I just don't believe it's because they can't. I just believe that they'd rather listen to the emotional things so Maybe they justify it. it. Maybe that's a better way of putting it. Like I said, it's not that you're not capable of making a lot. No, because how many times have people, we've done something where I mean, like, you know, I know that was stupid, but this is what I wanted. Yeah. But you know what? Like I said, whether it's a choice or whether it it may be, and I'm sure it is a choice, but you're, you're, you're probably right there. You know what? Human beings can make logical decisions, but more times than not, they choose not to. Right. Because they allow the emotions to control them. Well, the emotions does control. Right. Okay. Now, yes. Can you supersede that? Absolutely. But the, it, but I think unconsciously the emotions creep in first. Makes sense. Makes total sense. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Now, again, you said getting into the emotional decisions. How do you tap into that emotion, right? Because I mean, it's not like I'm gonna call you up and say, "Hey, you know what? I know you're not looking for a home, but I'm gonna get your emotion and make you buy a home." Because that's not the way it works. But I mean, no. usually people, you know, relate through emotions. So how do you tap into their, uh, you know, their desires? You know what? I think it, I think that comes through connectivity. You know, as as emotional beings, and human beings are emotional creatures. You know, when I get with you, John, you know, we'll sit and we'll have a coffee together. We'll have a drink together. You know, maybe have maybe have some chicken wings or something like that together. We're gonna create some. We're gonna create chemistry between you and I. And you know, it's either gonna be good chemistry. It'll be bad chemistry. But that chemistry is gonna exist regardless. Okay. So when I go in to speak with a client, whether it's on the phone or whether I'm face-to-face, and by the way, I, I, I very seldom ever close on the phone anymore. I, it's usually on a Zoom call or I'm face-to-face with the person. Hey, I'm not going to lie. I'm just amazed that you even use the phone these days. Oh. So many times do you see, you call people and it's like, you're calling and it's like, you see other people's phones ringing and it's like, woo, look at the pretty phone. Ho ho, it makes noise. It's got lights. Woohoo. Yeah. And then, you know what I mean? Like nobody answers the damn thing anymore. I, and you know what? I, I don't know whether I'm just a creature or a habit, but you know what? I still use the phone. Of course. But you know what? I very seldom ever close on the phone. It's usually just to make conversation or whatever the case is, but. I want to be able to see you. I want to be able to um, see your body language. I want to be able to see where your your focus is, okay? So when I look into your eyes, I want to be able to see what's going on. And you see, body language will tell you everything, okay? The emotional, I'm sure you've run into this many times in yourself. You know, you, you take somebody into the wrong house, and they're looking for the exit door, okay? Because And right away, you know it's not the right place for them. So your job is you can either do one or two things. You can either try to 
convince them on this place or hustle them out of there and get them into another location that would be more appropriate. See, I have a bit of a different problem, right? Because I have a different process. When I take a person out and I turn them and I say, hey, you know what? You're going to know within the first 60 seconds whether you like this place. We don't have to go see the whole house once you don't like it. I go, believe me, I'm not offended. It's not my house. I don't care. Right? Like, it's like, I want to help you find the house that works for you, not for me. And again, that's perfectly right. You know where I have struggles with? I have struggles getting them to believe me. They still go see the house. Oh, no, we know this is not for us. They're honest. They're honest. Oh, yeah, this is not for us. Then why do you want to see the rest of it for? Why aren't we going to the next place and, you know, instead of wasting time walking around a place you know you don't want? Well, because they're probably thinking maybe something will jump out at them. Oh, probably. But it's just funny how that works out. And it is. And it is. Because, you know... It's like with people who turn around and they'll do the same thing, you know, and they do it in every business, okay? But you see, the thing is, too, is that when you and I are talking, I can tell whether you're being honest. I can tell whether you're, I can tell by the formulation of how you formulate words, you know, which way you're looking, okay? And it's not that I'm identifying those particular things. It's just an overall feeling I get, okay? That body language is so important. You know, here, I'm going to bring up a point though. Now, this is why I like in person, and this is why I'm not a fan of Zoom or anything like that. Now, I think there's a place for Zoom. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Sure. There is a place for it, but I don't think that's fully accurate. And I'm going to use this example. Right now, you would say, like, true story or not, that I'm looking right at you. Yeah. Right. But I'm not actually looking at you. I'm looking at my camera. My actual Zoom is my, my screen is down here. Good. Mm-hmm. Right. But you see what I'm saying? Like, so my point is that it's perception there. Now, Zoom, people can fake it till you make it in a sense, for lack of a better description, which sure I not. freaking hate that. But that's besides the point. Sure. <laughs> so it's like, and what I'm saying is, and that's where I find it can be manipulative. Now, I think there's a, there's a, a a place for it. Prime example. Once I've seen the house, once we've decided to look at it and you decide to buy, I'm going to send you the link through DocuSign, but I'm not going to expect it. You know, for you to just grab it and read it by yourself. I'm going to send you a blank copy like that outside of the document. And then we'll go on Zoom and go through it together. I'll share the screen and we'll read it together and I'll explain it to you. Yeah. Now, I think there's a use for that. There's no sense in going home, writing it up, and then both of us leaving our place just to meet up to sign forms when we can do it that way. But... But the initial contact that makes that builds that like no like and trust comes from in person. I don't believe I believe you can start from a phone call, start from a Zoom, but I believe that at some point in time you need the interaction. And I could tell you a story to prove my point if you want to hear it. Absolutely. But just before you tell the story, I will tell you one. Sure. You know, when your client base is primarily in your local area. Absolutely. Like in my case, my clients are everywhere. They're client. I've got clients in the UK. I've got clients in, in France. I've got clients in the United States. And it's difficult to travel to those places. So most in my case, most of the stuff I do is through Zoom. Well, you have no choice, but I'm saying the best no, form of connection. Best, if I could shake your hand, I'm better. As soon as you yeah. said to me you were from Toronto, I feel like the next time I'm in Toronto, I'm going to look you up. We're going to go ahead and have a bite to eat together. There we go. See? Exactly. exactly. Now, now here's the story, right? Because I'm very, very into the personal thing. I do not like referring people that I do not know. And I don't believe I know them until I've met them in person. And, and like I said, because there's ways to manipulate Zoom. And I, you know, so I'm wary about that. Now, prime example, there's, I, I spent the month of September on planes. And here's where the story comes in. I had some stuff to get done. 
I decided that, uh, well, first I went to a, a mortgage summit because I got my mortgage license as well. So I got to know everybody on the team because my main office is based out of Edmonton. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though I'm in the Ontario side, the main office is Edmonton. So I went to the summit and I learned from that, which was great. That was great. From there, I booked a trip to Florida. Mm-hmm. And this is where, where, where it starts. Now, Florida, I had some personal things there. But I booked times to meet with people that I was going to do business with. Why? Because I wanted to meet them in person. You get the true tale of who they are when you meet them in person. You see the truth. They do not hide it from you. They can't hide it from you. What happens is because I'm not going to just send people that know, like, and trust me over to them and then, you know, have them call me back and go, what the hell did you do? Right. So I want to know who I'm dealing with. And even my own investments, I buy like investing out there. So. I want to know who I deal with. And and so I boarded a plane, booked, uh, I didn't have to go for two weeks. I could have got everything done in three days, but I booked it in two weeks, spread everything over time. So I had a little bit of my own time there too. So now that was sort of the interaction there. Now, here's another thing. I had a uh, phone call conversation with someone who was uh, in, in a similar space as my investment company. I have an investment fund, right? And this, per- this person I talked to is already doing what I want, you know, what I'm, what I've built or starting to build. Mm-hmm. And now, remember, they told me the stuff by phone, right? And uh, I was driving, so I didn't really write it down. And I thought, okay, I'm going to remember it. When I stop, I'll write it down. Hung up, got excited. I stopped. I forgot. <laughs> and now, that, since that's part of their business, I didn't want to keep calling and saying, you know, yeah, I'm a dummy. I didn't write it down. Can you tell me again? So I thought, I'm going to, how do I approach this without looking like, like, without being a schmuck? So I decided, okay, you know what? There's been so many times we said we're going to meet and every single time I say we're going to meet then whenever they're in Toronto, I'm never around. And then, um, it just worked out that way. Yeah, of course. And then, um, then what ends up happening is I thought, okay, well, I never go to Ottawa. So I said, screw it. I was like, you know what? We found a day that works. And I, uh, literally I boarded a plane to go have lunch with them. And then I came back that same evening. Now, my point was it was a dual thing here. One, I get to learn more about them and what they do and how they do it. So I kind of learned that side of the business. Plus, I get the information that I didn't write down without seeming, seeming offensive because I didn't, you know, they went out of the way to help me and I couldn't be bothered to write it down. Now, the reality is not that I can't be bothered. I was driving. but So the stupidity on my side was I shouldn't have called when I was driving. So, but anyways, regardless of that. So the point is I found a way to kill two birds with one stone. I got to meet with a person. You develop that relationship now because now there's a better bond, a better trust because of that, because I went the extra mile. Well, you know what? And I absolutely, there's nothing beats face to face. Okay. Shake the person's hand, look in their eyes. It gives you a chance as well. When you're sitting, like I said, when you're sitting with a customer in their office, you know, the first thing I'd, I don't want to talk right away. I don't want to get into it. What I want to do is I want to look around the room and say, oh, my God, is that your wife and kids? What a beautiful family. Mm-hmm. Why don't you tell me about that? Oh, I see you've uh, you, you got a picture of you climbing a mountain. Is that Mount Everest? Yeah, it is. Well, great. Can you tell me about that? Oh, I see you, you do canoeing or whitewater rafting. Hey, can you tell me about that? You know, and this does two things. Number one, one of the things that I love about what I do is that I get to talk to all kinds of people about all kinds of things, and I learn because I listen. You know, great salespeople, and we've heard this over the years, John. Oh, I could never do what you do, John, because I just don't have the gift of the gab. You know, I couldn't be a salesperson because I just don't, I don't have the words. Well, you know what? Let me tell you something. Great salespeople don't talk. They listen. And if you become a listener, 
not only do you become a much more educated individual, a much more interesting individual, but it also allows you, to, when you listen, you understand what their concerns are. Your concerns don't matter. Absolutely. How do you deliver a product or a service that they want if you don't listen to hear them, hear what they want? I was hoping you could give me the answer to that question because I've been looking for 40 years and I haven't found no exactly right and that only comes from listening right so if you don't listen you're, you're going to show them crap they don't want well and you know and the thing is too is when you when you become a listener versus a talker you know talking that's really only satisfies one person and that's you okay i mean so i guess if you're an egocentric type of person well you know maybe listening to yourself talk is a good thing but on the most part i've found that uh when you're a listener it allows you to hone in on exactly what this person's problems are and what they feel like. And you know, I'll tell you something. When I say something that resonates with a customer and I see his eyes go up or I see him sit up in his chair or say, oh my God, Randy, yeah, absolutely. Something like that. I know I'm on the right track. And you see, but I have to listen to what he has to say before I talk. I have to evaluate that. And then I can only give him the right answers when when I know what the what the right answers are, I won't know that if I have to if by talking. You'd learn that by listening. Absolutely. Now, look, there's ways. Uh, like, look, I think everybody has an ego to a certain point, right? I I, I am what I call a humble egomaniac, mm-hmm. and here's what I mean by that. I mean, do I have an ego? Yeah, it's probably the size of Texas, and not necessarily the ego that people think, where it's like I'm better than everybody else. And here's what I mean by that. My, I have a podcast studio setup kind of thing, right? I've got multiple cameras. I've got the whole, you know, the fancy dancy stuff and all that. And uh, I, I said to somebody, because we got into conversation about that. I could have bought myself a thousand dollar camera, a couple thousand dollar cameras, and it would have been enough. Here I am. I went on, bought the fancy dancy. My, my, each camera that I have is, it cost me roughly about $8,000 a piece. And I got multiple of them. So I spent roughly about 30-ish or maybe a little bit more into the, this gear. And I said, yeah, I did not do this because it's the greatest camera. I did not do this just so I can, you know, like, like I did it for the podcast, but the reality is I want the fancy dancy thing to get a good copy of me and my guests. And this is where the ego is and why? Because I want that best image, the best sound. I want the best information and the best everything presented. I want to present the best I possibly can. And that's where my ego comes in. Why does that matter? Because the thousand dollar camera would have not, would have done the same thing, but I want the best presentation, and that's where the ego comes in. I'm getting the message out the best I can, and that's what it's for. You know what? I think there's a difference between being being egocentric and being um, wanting to deliver the best version of you. Okay, you know people get caught up with the word ego, and most people don't even understand what it means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, your ego is designed to keep you safe. That's, that's it's, its primary function is to keep you safe. It's to keep you from, you know, if there's no ego there, you'd probably walk right off a cliff, okay? But your ego is there to keep you safe. You know, and I remember this in just a quick story. I, uh, when I was younger, I, I used to do uh, skydiving. And uh, so I went and I learned how to do skydiving, and all of that was great. While I was sitting in the classroom, everything was perfect. Now it's time to go up in the plane, so we had picked up our chutes. I was perfectly fine. Getting into the plane, I was perfectly fine. Going up to 10,000 feet, I was still fine. Then it came time to step out on the platform. Then things got a little nervous, but I managed to get myself out there. So I'm holding on to the platform now 
And then all of a sudden, the girl says to me, the little girl next to me, she says, all you got to do is let go. But you know what? For the life of me, my ego is screaming at me. Randy, don't do this. Don't do this. Okay. And it was, it was so loud I could even hear it. So I did one of these things, you know, tried to let go. And then I was gone. But the interesting happened. As soon as I pulled the cord and my parachute came out, everything was fine. I floated to the ground. It was, it was a wonderful experience. The point that I'm making is, is that your ego is there to keep you safe. Okay. When you, you know, but people allow their egos to control their life. It's untamed, you know, like anything in life, you know, you, you have to use prudence when you, no matter what you do, you know, you went out and you spent a lot of money on cameras and setting up a good system for yourself. I don't necessarily think that's ego. I think that's, you want to, you want to present yourself properly. You want to be present the best version of you. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. On the other hand, you know, if uh, if if you were one of those people that said, hey, listen, look at my podcast stuff. I've got the best stuff and you don't. Well, I think that's ego, okay? Because you're trying to put yourself above everybody else. There's a cross-reference between, you know, ego and humility. Yeah. And I think humility, you know, again, that's another word that most people don't understand what it means. Uh, humility is the opposite, is two sides of the same coin. It's the midpoint. You know, on one end is um, is uh, self-promotion. On the other side is uh, a poor self-image. you got to find that medium point. You don't want to overshadow what others do. And, you know, I find this with, especially with consultants, and salespeople do it as well. They always try to overshadow by having the answer. i got to have that quick answer. Where I tend to be a listener, and I'll, I'll sit and listen, and they'll say, well, what do you think about that? And I'll say, well, you know, maybe I need to get a little bit more information. Why don't you tell me about this, or why don't you tell me about that? Because when you listen to what people say, I don't need to overshadow. I don't need to come up with the instant answer. Right. Look, even in your business, and you've been in your business for quite a while, John, do you have all the answers? No. I don't. <laughs> I sorry, sorry about the shock. Um, but you know, I've been doing marketing for forty three years, and if somebody said to me, "Randy, do you have all the answers?" I'd say, "Hell no! I don't even have close to all the answers." Okay, I don't even know because there's always stuff that I don't know because every situation is different. So, but you see, this is what I'm saying. You know, I'm, have you ever worked with a consultant and, and they always want to come up with quick answers? Oh, you got to do it this way. Oh, you got to do it that way. You know, salespeople have a tendency of doing the same things. And um, it's because they don't listen. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. Awesome. Randy, in light of time, I'm going to ask you a couple of last questions before sure. I get into what I call the lightning round. The lightning round. I can't wait. Awesome. Uh, second last question is going to be, how do you know you've had a successful day? How do I know when I've had a successful day? Well, when I'm smiling at the end of the day. You know, I, I'm one of those people. I, um, I'm a gratitude junkie. Every time something good happens in my life during the course of a day, I write it down in my gratitude journal. And then at the end of the day, I look at my day and I see all the things that I'm grateful for for that day. I, I found this to be one of the most therapeutic things in my life. When I started writing down the things that I'm grateful for, it changed the way I, the way I look at life. So at the end of the day, there's always four or five things that happen during the day like today. After this podcast, I'm going to write down, I'm going to uh, met John. And uh, you know what? I'll make a note to give you a call in a couple of weeks' time and 
And uh, you know what? It's, it's those kind of things, okay? Because it doesn't have to be about money. It doesn't have to be about work. It doesn't have to be at anything, you know? Your wife kissed you goodnight. Uh, you know, and I'll put that on my day the next day. You know, all of these things. The best thing I can say is be grateful. Be grateful for the every moment of your life. And don't spend your time living in the past, man. Don't spend your time. I love that answer. Don't spend your time. I mean, you know what? Most of my friends, and I'm sure most of yours too, live their lives in the past. Oh, do you remember, John? Do you remember when we were 10 years old and you did this to me? Like, who cares? Like, that doesn't even exist anymore. The John that was 15 years old doesn't even exist anymore. When you look in the mirror, you don't see that guy anymore. I wish I did. Yeah, you and me both. But <laughs> And that's what I'm saying is that most people live by, by their past experiences. Me, I try to live in the present moment. So when I write down my gratitude, I, I write it down as I feel about it right now. Does Makes that sense. answer the question? Absolutely. Awesome. Let's get into the last but not least question before the lightning round, which is going to be anybody who watches this, wants to reach out to you, wants to find you, where would they go? Uh, I'm pretty easy to find, man. Uh, you can reach me through email at randy at fearlessmarketer.com. You can go to my website at www.fearlessmarketer.com. And I'm on all the major social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, YouTube. Fantastic. All right. Question one of the lightning round is going to be, what is your favorite food and why? Spaghetti and meatballs, the way my wife cooks it. It's amazing. Awesome. Good answer. Oh, I want to uh, be very clear on something and everybody watching. If I ever say that I had to kiss my wife, then I need to lock myself in an institution because I don't have a wife. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know. <laughs> no, it's a joke. I'm just getting around. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, sometimes I have that moment of humor, you know what I mean? Well, my question to you with regards to that, did you tell me that because you want because you you don't you wanted me to know that you don't have a wife? Or did no, you no, no, because you're looking for one? No, no, it was more because you made the comment of, you know, like, you know, you're grateful, you just go and kiss your wife and all that. And I'm of like, course. well, if I go and claim that I kissed my wife, is I, I need to be locked up. <laughs> I don't <have> one. <laughs> yeah, it was just a humor, a stupid humor, but <laughs> that's okay. Not a problem. I couldn't resist it. <laughs> awesome. All right. Question number two, favorite travel destination and why? Mexico. Interesting. Um, I love Playa de Carmen and my wife and I are looking at uh, moving there for six months of the year. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Awesome. Favorite podcast and or book? Oh, John, it's got to be you. I'm the winner. <laughs> of course you are. My favorite book, the Bible. I've read it 300 times. Wow. I think that. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Now, my final question for the lightning round is, if you were given unlimited amount of money, but only 48 hours to spend it, what you spend, you get to keep. What you don't spend gets taken away. What would you do? And I got 48 hours to spend it. Correct. That's a tough question because I really don't want for anything in my life. Um, I would probably help my kids. I would, um, you know, there's a lot of people living on the street. I'd probably help them out. You know what? I really, it's a hard question for me because, you know, if you asked me that question 20 years ago, I would have given you a whole different answer. I'd given you a laundry list. But, you know, to be honest with you, John, at 64 years old, I really don't want anything. And there's nothing that I want that money could buy me anyway. 
So yeah, I think I would probably give it away. Yeah, yeah, your answer was still good, right? You used it to help other people, so that's still good. Well, I think you know what I think. You know, just before we go, I really want to. I said something in the beginning, and I don't know whether I really finished it. Everybody's in a hurry to rush the sale. Everybody wants instant gratification. Everybody wants, I need money today. They put money before the value. And I just wanted to, you know, get people to understand something. The world doesn't operate that way. You do the work, then you get paid. You go to work at McDonald's and two weeks later, they'll pay you. I go to work for you, John, two weeks later, you're going to pay me. But you know what? I see so many people that want that instant gratification. Well, you know, I'm a consultant, so I, I uh, you need to pay me in advance. I think that's a terrible way of, of, of operating a business. I think, you know, the, the better way is to, uh, you know, put the customer first, put their needs ahead of yours. And I think when you start living your life that way, where you put your, you put your customer before, you put your wife before, you put your kids before, you put your dog before, you start living your life that way, more things come to you. Makes sense. Yeah, no, I, that last question, the reason I asked it is because if yeah, if I asked the same, you know, typical uh, idiotic question of if you had a million dollars, what would you do? You always get idiotic answers. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I pay off my mortgage, I buy a Ferrari. And it's not what really people really want. Like, and in my questions, I'm looking for what is the deep desire? What are they really after? Right. And that's why I worded it the way I do, because it gets a person to think about it. You know what? And I think, you know, like I said, I mean, for me, what I really want is knowledge, wisdom, time. You know what? I can't even ask for love because you know what? I'm, I'm, my wife is awesome, you know? But those are the things. The things that I want are the money, things that money can't buy. And, you know, it's funny. I have a friend of mine and she'll always say, you know, money makes you happy. I say, you know what? She says, if I just want a million dollars, I would be so happy. No, you wouldn't. You'd just be a miserable person with a million bucks. And John, you know, you're in the financial world. You know that's true. Money doesn't make you happy. It's, it makes you comfortable. It might make you, you know, buy you a few things. Well, I'm going to tell you one line that I've heard before, and I live by it and believe it and breathe it. Money doesn't make you happy. Money doesn't even make you rich. Money makes you more of who you are. And, well, wait, thank you very much for that. You're absolutely right. It doesn't make you a better person or a worse person. It just makes you more of what you are. And excuse the term, if you're an asshole with no money and you make a million dollars, you'd just be an asshole with money. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Randy, it's been phenomenal. Thank you so much. Oh, uh, John, it's been a pleasure. And listen, thanks very much. I hope you invite me back on your show again. Absolutely. If you like what you saw and you want to see some more, subscribe to the link below. Thanks for watching The John Papaloni Show.